Hey, everybody. This is Mark Levine, and you're listening to episode 11 of the NYC Real Estate Podcast. Uh, just before we get into it, today we're going to be talking with Penny Mendelson from McFar Contractors, and she's in studio with us. But I just wanted to remind everybody that you can email the show at nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. And we're going to answer all of your questions. If you have anything specific to real estate, it could be New York City, it could be New York State, it could be federal, whatever it is, just send it our way and we'll uh, we'll cover it on on the uh, the episodes coming up. But I just wanted to welcome you, Penny, to the show. Hello. So give me and everybody how we met was back in 2007 or eight. And I only judge that based on how old my daughter is because she's turning 12 in November, which is insane. And you showed up on the job with her in your... Uh, in a baby Bjorn. Bjorn. She was on my <laughs> chest. I think she was less than six months old. Absolutely. We didn't have a hard hat for her, but... But she was sweet. Yeah. So you were doing in Forest Hills or Regal Park area in Queens, we, you were doing a facade, um, a roof, and I think also the, the local all leveling facade pointing and all that. Um, so that's how we met. So we've known each other for quite a long time. But if why don't you give a background on how you got into the business and your history with the company and um, just you know, give me the, the five minute overview or less of yourself. If that's possible. <laughs> we all know I babble. Um, I don't look the part. I'm about five foot, 100 pounds, and I do run a fourth generation construction company. Which is unique in New York City or in any city, really, to have a female lead of a, a really male dominated industry, right? The only person who can probably do it is me. And the only place I could do it is New York. Yeah. Maybe Florida. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> because it's New York, too. Yeah. So in around 1900, my great grandfather started the Sheet Metal Workers Union, Tin Knockers, and he built skylights because every building in Manhattan needed a skylight because they didn't have electricity that mm -hmm. those days. Then my grandfather came in and started a roofing company because ultimately the roof had to go into those skylights. Right. He grew into one of the biggest roofers in New York at the time called United Roofing. And then in the late 70s, there was that whole recession kind of thing where people are online for gas and my father and his best friend started their own company for private owners because my grandfather was union he did schools he did the city court building war housing everything you see done in between 40s and 80s was all my grandfather the yeah. big big schools and then my father and his best friend started a company in 1979, and it was his friend Kevin McCarthy, and my father's name and my maiden name is Farbstein. Uh, so that's where the Mick Far. Yes. I always wondered that, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, Irish and Jewish. Who yeah. would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> and the first job they got was changing the seats in Shea Stadium in oh, really? 1980. Wow. And yes, I did meet them, you know, Timmy Tuffle. I was baby running around. I did have them sign my mitt. They were <laughs> great guys. This is the pre-86 Mets, yeah. if uh, you're a Met fan. And then he took over and then started meeting building owners and became kind of a boutique. Mm -hmm. He really focused on people who own their buildings as opposed to union and a number where he can build relationships and take care of buildings that are owned by people and or managed by a, a good relationship at, with a manager, then a board. And we built ourselves on relationships. And so he did the seats, but then he started working for Sterling Equities, which is one of the owners of, of the mats. Mm -hmm. And... He got some of their business and then kind of grew from there. We still have some clients from 1980, like That's a like million us. and a half square foot roof in Jersey. Yeah. We've been working on since 1980. Wow. It's three towns. Yeah. And once you meet us, you really don't want to go anywhere else anyway, because we 
turn you into our family. So you have an interesting background on the education side because what you, you could explain this also, but you have an architectural background. Can you go into um, what you did in school and kind of how that plays into what you're doing today? So I stayed local. I had been working for my dad since I was 18, but I've been on a roof since I was five. Like my daughter, who's been on a roof since she's three months. With me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I could tell my guys how to put on a pitch pocket. My right. father always said, my five-year-old daughter can do it. Right. It was either that or his mother-in-law. <laughs> and so I was working for him, but at the same time, I went to New York Tech I worked for him during the day and did tech pretty much the labs and stuff at night. Mm -hmm. And so I worked on site just shadowing him when yeah. I was 18, 19, 20. The best way to learn is to be there, to be on site, to meet the clients and really get your hands in and understand what you're learning. Yeah, I learned about 85% of what I wanted to know mm -hmm. in, in the field. And I also learned at architecture school that I didn't necessarily want to be an architect. I did graduate. What kind of architecture were you looking at at that point? Was it interior? Was it exterior? Um, it was like, always was exterior because mm -hmm. I only do exterior right. waterproofing. So I do deck coatings, waterproofing, local laws. Because I am an architect, I can do the inspections myself. Right. And that helps. And I brought in the education and the understanding of AIA practices. Mm -hmm. And I also understand how to argue with other architects. I know you I can argue. <laughs> I've seen it. Yes. And I can argue with other architects because I have the same education and probably right. more experience. You have more hands-on, which lends itself a little bit better. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but when you have both sides of the equation and you can say, okay, I've actually done the work that I'm reviewing, it's a little bit different than just having not had your hands dirty. And I Your also had my daddy, yeah. my daddy, he's pretty much the best person in the world yeah. and knows his stuff. And there's no better training than my father. And a lot of the clients he met became his friends and respected him mm -hmm. for his honesty and his ability to show up no matter what. Mm. And if there was a mistake to fix it before it happens, so to speak, yeah. I never run from a mistake. People make mistakes, I back them up and fix them. And that's one of the things my father prided him on. You know, he prides himself on the fact of showing up no matter what. And so while I was in architecture school, I learned. And then by the time I was 25, I was running, say, three, 400 buildings for, you know, watching, overlooking mm -hmm. local laws and roofs and leaks and deck coatings at the time. Right. So I got really into deck coatings. It was kind of the beginning. This is for terraces and waterproof coatings on mm -hmm. garages or anything. And I really learned hands-on. And I've always been really into understanding the coatings and bringing that to the forefront of actually the potential of being at a roof. Right. As opposed to just a roofing system. And I really am following this new idea all the way forward mm -hmm. and it, it really gives a lot more opportunity um for the future of roofs so what do you guys do that maybe since we've met like 11 12 years ago have you seen a shift in what you guys handle as a company i know you do exterior waterproofing you do pointing you do roofs you do parapets you do copings you do flashings like uh, do you, I think you do, do you have your own sheet metal shop where you make everything in house so that you can lower the cost? Like what, what are some things that separate you from, you know, company ABC? And the first thing I would say is because we're four generations. So my grand great grandfather being in the sheet metal work worker business, my father actually worked for his great grandfather and his grandfather as a tin knocker. So first and foremost, we will sheet metal workers. We have our own break, our own shop, and we bend our own metal. Right. Then my grandfather, when he took over, became a roofer with the metal. So yes, we did do the job, but usually it ends with the metal coping or metal whatever mm -hmm. you want. And then when my father took over, 
ultimately it was the walls surrounding the roof that became the problem. So he then evolved right. into masonry in about 1985. Understanding where the roof ended right. was almost as important as the roof itself. Why don't you walk us through, if you can, um, the important parts of the roof and how they play together? Because it's one system, and if one system's off, if one part of the system's off, then you're getting water infiltration at a different spot. So can you just explain how the roof interlaces with the flashing which interlaces with the parapet and the coping like how does that system come into play for people that are listening that may not know exactly how this structure should work in a perfect you know scenario let's say it's a new construction like how should it be so the first thing i'll state is i do not do homes and shingles when when everybody thinks of roofing at first right i do commercial or big large residential housing mm -hmm. or big buildings shopping centers so that's a little different than understanding where a shingle meets a chimney right. in everybody's house. So, but if I used that, a roof system, and we have a lot out there, the best of the best would be what my grandfather had installed, which was a built up hot tar roof, which we pretty much can't use in New York anymore. Is it because of the open flame? And the, the propane, it needs to set up right. a kettle Right. Um, fifteen thousand dollars pumper kettle. So we used to warm up the hot tar mm -hmm. and pump it up to the roof. Because you can't have an open flame with propane on the roof. It's against code. No, we would burn it by the kettle. Okay. And pump it up in copper pipes, and then get it. But the problem is, you can't have that amount of propane within twenty-five foot of a residence. Mm -hmm. Find that in New York. Yeah. <laughs> so we moved on to torch. Mm -hmm. um, we started torching and then torching on a wood deck. You know, it was always iffy, but it is illegal. So then we moved on, if it's a wood deck, to cold adhesive where it's like glue. Right. But none of that compares to a good old-fashioned hot tar. Yeah. So now when I was talking about liquid, I feel like the only thing that would be as good as for as tar would be a liquid coating that's reinforced. Mm -hmm. You're giving yourself when it's bonded, it's bonded together mm -hmm. and not layers to get in between. And right. that's a huge thing because you poke a hole. Also to get yeah. further, your roof is only as good as your flashing and drains. If your drain is not working, then the water's not getting off the roof. That's number one. Mm -hmm. I always say, I don't care where your other problems are, get the water off the roof. Check the brain, the drain pipe, check the flow, and make sure that's working. Then we look at the walls around it. Right. The water blows into the walls, then the walls are taking on water, not the roof. People mm -hmm. automatically assume it's a roof leak, when most of the time, it's usually, I always say, cause and effect. Mm -hmm. People see a, a popped open seam or something rotten and they automatically say, oh, the seam's open, that's the problem. It's usually because something came in and popped that seam open right. most of the time, unless it's done not so well. So in towards the 90s, we rip roofs, you know, in the tri-state area, Jersey, Connecticut, all of the boroughs, Long Island, everywhere. We rip roofs and more and more in towards the 90s, asbestos became, you know, a lot more important and yeah. the forefront. So my family had always subbed out and I'm not a huge fan of subbing out anyone. I like my guys. Most of my guys that work for me have been working for my dad since I was five. Mm -hmm. I won't tell you how old I, <laughs> I am, but that's about right. Yeah. And so they have the experience and I went up on a roof and my guys are standing around waiting for somebody else to take their time and rip a roof where they would have had it up in three hours and it took them all day. And that's when I decided in 2008 during the recession to put all my guys through school and buy all the equipment necessary as an asbestos contractor. My right. father was not happy. And how'd that work out though? <laughs> it worked out that we are a lot less money. Yeah. Be because my roofers are suiting up, mm -hmm. then they take the suits off 
and actually put down the roof. Right. So you're not paying for the sub. Right. You're but you still have to pay for a monitor. We Nope. The right? building owner pays it because it's a... Right, not you. I mean, somebody has to pay for the monitor. Well, it's a higher cost to mm -hmm. remove asbestos because you have to file. Mm -hmm. You have to actually build a decontainment unit on yeah. the roof. And you have to shower and suit up. I mean, all these things. And the worst is you have to double bag yeah. everything and then wash it. But when you actually have your roofers doing it, things flow a lot easier mm -hmm. than just an asbestos guy. He doesn't know the ins and outs. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of coordination that we don't need. Exactly. Yeah. So the time and the cost is a lot less than paying someone else's overhead and someone else's company to do half the amount. Yeah. So it works to the owner's benefit of the dollar line. Mm -hmm. You know, the dollar, the the dollar, the bottom line is it's a lot less expensive, a lot more thorough, and a lot less room for mistakes. Mm -hmm. So that is what I brought to the company. And after my father did complained for a, a while um and with by 2010 i pretty much made it back because it was really something that everybody needed and realized they didn't have to pay that much for right. it where it was always alarming it's still a lot but you have to do it it's law exactly so that's what i kind of brought to the company with my architecture background of understanding simple items that other people take for granted. That mm -hmm. is what I learned, you know, in yeah. architecture. The rest is really just business. Yeah. And knowing, but one of my other things is finding leaks. Yeah. Now you know? that's a good point. So what can people listening, if they're up on their roof or they're on the board or whatever, they want to have their manager look, what are some things that are telltale signs of there's an issue? Are we looking at... Um, you know, no through all flashing on the parapets. Are we looking at um, termination bars that aren't there? What What are we looking for exactly that could be, maybe we should look further into this and probe or this could be an issue down the line? The first thing I'll say is the manager or the building owner should not be looking for the things. Okay. We look, I start with one. Number one, danger. Anything dangerous, whether a brick, a roof falling off. I see so many off. nails on roofs walking around. I'm just saying, as a, as a thing, just go up. They have those magnetic, you know, rolling brooms. Uh -huh. Just go up with a roller, pick all that stuff. Because there's some, you get one pinhole, and you know, and it's a big issue. Well, depending you, on the actual, uh, yeah. Or you just have someone sweep them up nicely. Yeah. Like, uh, don't shovel your roof with a shovel <laughs> because you will put holes, yeah. and then when it the snow melts yeah. you'll learn the hard way but i would say you as in a building owner or a manager should not be looking mm -hmm. because what you see through your eyes is not mine and that's where my experience comes in yeah i always tell my guys if you're going to take a picture take a picture of what you see then stand back so i can see what it's really important mm -hmm. and so the best way for me to show a picture, yeah, a building owner or a building owner representative should always know what they're paying for. And that is what's been completely negated in our community. You get a proposal, you see that it's got flashing, you know that they are right and it needs to do. You sign the proposal because it looks like a, a, a right budget. What my obsession is, either I bring everybody, which I've done recently, I brought a whole co-op board up on the roof. Yeah. The best way to know is for me to point and show you, give you your options on what your budget would be, and then walk you through the process of fixing the danger, fixing the leaks, where the leaks are coming from through my eyes and my training, and then ultimately maintenance. So that would be all those things. And then I work with building owners with a budget. I have right. no money. Okay, well, let's do what's important. Yeah. I never like to waste money. Even when, I, when I say I waste money, I mean 
the client becomes my building. Mm -hmm. I become responsible once I get to that, that relationship. So anything that happens to them happens to me. Right. So I don't want them to sign that proposal that somebody else sent when I know it's not the problem. Mm -hmm. I'd rather go up and tarp something or do a water test before they spend a dime. And when they're going to, a picture from me circled with an arrow saying, this is it, is the way everybody yeah. should understand what they're paying for. Do you find that, I know with Local Law 11, we have a set parameter, buildings that are taller than six stories every five years. The buildings that you're seeing that you're doing work on that are under six stories, are they traditionally coming to you when there's an oh my God emergency? Or do you find that they're proactively going and say, let's say it's a three-story building or a four-story building. Are they coming to you for a review or are they coming to you like, oh my God, we have six leaks and we have to take care of this now because there's no government entity that's telling them beyond keeping it safe. You always have to keep a building safe. But there's nobody telling you, I have to do this every five years and it's it's on my list. Like, what are you seeing on those smaller buildings? Is it a, a reactive or is it proactive? Always. Uh, I'm going to say... Percentage-wise, yeah. 95% are reactive. reactive. So people will come to me danger if they see something hanging and they just want me to fix the one brick that's falling. They don't think that the whole other parapet or brick wall is going to fall down. They just see this ugly brick and because through their eyes, that's all they see. You know, So that would be the one where I go up, I walk them through the process and showed them why that brick would be falling. Um, in typical cases, number two would be the leaks, the reactive. When somebody has a little leak that they ignore, and a lot of people in buildings don't look up. You wouldn't mm -hmm. believe it. But if it's not dripping down, they don't even realize they have right. a leak. I'll go up on a roof and be like, I know this apartment's leaking. Get me in. Mm -hmm. And then that's where I come in with repairing. Right. The thing about these buildings is because they're not obligated mm -hmm. and even the local laws, they're not obligated to do a roof. Right. And the thing about it's not working, a, it's, well, I'm going to explain why because it's not considered to be unsafe to the public. I mean, we're, we're trying to keep buildings safe for the public, the general public and local law 11. So if the roof isn't considered to be an unsafe condition that could affect somebody on the ground, they're not necessarily lumping that in with local law 11, right? No. Yeah. If the, no. If no, the, I'm wrong. If, yeah. Oh, if the roof so good. leaks into a wall, yeah. it's actually causing the problems. If you don't fix the wall, the water right. from the roof going into the wall, then it's actually causing the problems in the local law. Right. So if you don't stop the water leaking into the wall, then your local law is going to keep happening. Right. Also, there is a, an item at the end that says, is this a leak-free building? Mm -hmm. Those two items pretty much cover the right. fact that if you have a problem with your roof, you have to fix it, but not necessarily replace it. Right. And that's where I usually say this. I have dealt with a lot of buildings because, as you mentioned, they don't see it every day. Mm-hmm. They don't know and they don't understand how, I mean, off the top of our head, we understand having a roof over our head that's le that's waterproof would make the most sense in the entire building. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about electricity, people's homes, people's things, yeah. and the, the delamination of the steel, wood, sheep, everything. Mm -hmm. But there are so many buildings that I show up they don't have the money to replace the roof, yet I'll walk in a year later and they will have a million dollar lobby. I've seen, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, it's they all will, about curb appeal, right? But if your building is falling down, right? <laughs> so I always say, okay, you put the lobby in. Now what happens when the roof leaks in? Yeah, there goes your million dollars when you could have spent half that. Yeah, and had a, a roof forever. And these things quickly escalate. If we're looking at a leak and we leave it for three years, the cost could more than triple. It will know? completely blow out your one pipe, one drain, yeah. one wrong roof drain can blow out that entire lobby. Yeah, 
And so it just doesn't make sense to start renovating. People do it with houses all the time. Yeah. It ends up being the roof is the last thing because you don't see it. Right. You don't see it until you have something dripping over your bed. And, and then I get the emergency phone call in the middle of the night. It's dripping in or it fell. Yeah. And it's, that's the reactive. And still, they won't say to replace it. They'll only say to repair it. I know. There are some boards that have problems justifying certain expenses to everybody. And I feel like that's one that they, they tend to shy away from in explaining that we, you know, it's something that you can't see, but it's something that we do have to fix. And the, oh, but only the top floor apartments are maybe affected, you know, and so that's the first the floor, case. it's like replacing an elevator and this, and the first floor occupants like, why do I have to pay this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's same thing. Right. That's true. Exactly. But it actually delaminates the entire building. Yeah. And corrodes it. And causes unsafe conditions, which leads us back to look law 11 or an unsafe condition in a smaller building. Or ruining your brand new lobby. Yeah. And we like new lobbies. They're, exactly. It, but it's all about curb appeal. And that's what they worry about because that's the first thing that you see from market values. Especially when a board says, look what we did. Everybody could see it every day. Doesn't exactly. It doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah. And I'm saying a new roof would make you feel warmer and fuzzier because yeah. you'll actually stay warm. Actually, now with the, with the insulation properties that you need to have per code, you know, you will. So it you, will help you not only that. And save energy. Now, the legal, it's going to be illegal to have a roof on a commercial building with a certain amount of units without solar panels. Oh, yeah. So now that's the next step. Yeah. And if it doesn't matter the height, it, it matters how many units are in there. And they must, by 2020, it's a local law mm -hmm. that they have to have solar panels. And there's no way you want to put on solar panels on an old roof. Right. Because if the roof leaks, you have to remove them. Yeah. So this becomes a larger issue, but there is ways to finance it and benefits. Right. And there's and programs out there that will then, save you money too. Exactly. Yeah. And well, they save a ton of money in the electricity if it's the right person and the right way. Yeah. Um, and the way they finance it. And then you can wrap up the roof in there. Yeah. And then you see it on your bill. You yeah. are saving that money. It's a payback. It it definitely is. And you can own your own electricity. We were having this conversation with a building of mine, thinking about doing the roof with solar panels um, before it was required to do it because we're going to do the roof now. But it just, it was, the assessment was too much of a burden because they're dealing with three other projects and they went away, I believe, from the solo project now, but they were looking at it. I mean, it, these are conversations that everybody is starting to have because of this rule coming up. Well, I've only just, I'm still, I still need to be educated more in it. So I've been looking into it for about 15 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. They are finally getting to an idea where I can really get behind because I really wasn't. What the company I'm working with now, they actually have uh, owners that budget and will give you the money themselves. They'll put up the money right? and then they own that electricity. Mm -hmm. So you're paying them for electricity. And then ultimately, once you paid off, you own your own. Mm -hmm. Now, especially if you have three buildings and you get all of those three buildings, the electricity and all sorts of things, especially if you have something like a gym or a pool, mm -hmm. you can save so much with that square footage. Right. And I'm learning this only now yeah. that there are not a lot. I'm not talking about the solar panel people that, you know, you can get a loan. I'm talking about the incentives and the people willing to take the credits of paying those bills and being able to write them off. Mm -hmm. especially if it was like a, um, I'm working towards the Roslyn JCC mm -hmm. so they don't have to pay taxes and temples right. and churches where they don't have the taxes. So if someone buys them and finances them, they can take care of a lot and really helps these people to not only have a new roof, but to also cut their prices a huge amount. And the more buildings they do, the better the financing. Right. So those people, I know that they didn't, but if you if you call on the right person, mm -hmm. 
they could give you a package that you would love. Right. It's worth the shot because you save money and you'd save money. It's opening <laughs> up a whole new industry. It really is. I And only, we did a whole episode on, it's kind of related to the Climate Mobilization Act. We had um, merit engineering here. I think it was episode, I don't even remember what episode it was. We've only done 11, so it can't be so far away. But they were very helpful in telling us how we had to reduce our, you know, electric usage over the next few years and what the guidelines are going to be. And this kind of plays right into that. So all of these industries are kind of hitting upon the same targets, just in different ways. Yeah, I heard they were pretty good, too. They know what they're doing. They do. So, so what's on your schedule? So with this, we're in October now. Winter slows down for you. What do you guys do as exterior guys in the uh, in the winters? Well, cement mm -hmm. and mortar and brick stop. Right. Once it becomes too cold. Roofing? You know, roofing can be done, but when there's snow up there, yeah. um, there are days where it goes up to 50. And there are winters that it's I know, in it's, 50s. Hey, look, I can two days ago it was 94, and then it was 54 the next day. I know. I'm mm. so sad. I yeah. love summer. <laughs> I'm going to miss just it. Just travel. It's fine. And I just love it. But then we can go to Florida. That's right. Get warm. That's, that's the goal. It is. Florida, Floridians need their roofers, especially a New York roofer. Yeah. That can actually go in, get it done in a week. Yeah. And we always say after a hurricane, you know, that's... Everybody needs it. I mean, I've seen the destruction down there firsthand. New York building owners know they need a New York roofer. Yeah. And they actually are lightening up on the licensing right now. Mm. That if you have a license or you're an established company somewhere else, you can actually come down there. Oh, now. they have reciprocity now. Mm -hmm. That's good. So a lot of people ask, especially after a storm. Yeah. You know. When you own a shopping center and then the roof blows off yeah. and it had a Home Depot in it, mm -hmm. you need that That's roof. That's a big thing. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, I can't come down. <laughs> and everyone said, fill up your vans with tarps. <laughs> what are they doing? Sometimes we will shovel off a roof for the weight. Yeah. And repair, emergency repairs. Yeah. So what we'll do is actually shovel or or. Sweep. Don't ever put a shovel on your roof. Yeah. And we'll sweep it away from the area so we can actually dry it and then help it and repair it for the winter. If I'm looking to do a project in the spring, does it make sense for me in general to price it out with you or in your industry over the winter because you're kind of in your quiet season or does pricing not matter depending on when I put out the request for the proposal? It is a lot easier for you and me to start in the winter and negotiate. So by the time you're done, it's spring, you have a signed contract, and you get the first. Mm. That's when a contractor can say, you're first. Right. And that's also when people drag and wait till the summer, then the building department takes longer, then the CD5s, that's for the rigging, mm. and all the permit process, it drags out in the summer. If you can get ahead of schedule and be prepared, you save money, time, and you can actually be done in a lot uh, organized, more organized fashion. Yeah. And are you coming in and doing a lot of repair work for newer installations that were done improperly? Or are you basically just seeing this has gotten old or it's just worn out its useful life? A little bit of everything. A lot of new construction. New construction is the worst. <laughs> it is. I have not met a new construction building that has not had a lawsuit. <laughs> the problem is it's a GC, and they're told to do what they're doing. And the architects do the drawings for what they're doing. Right. The problem is there's usually not a roofer or waterproofer consultant, and it, ha it has to be the right one, me. And where you look at the fact if the door is a foot down from the roof, yeah. then all the water is pitched towards the door. It's not a mystery. Mm -hmm. And that's what I seem to find. Yeah. And I'm not a huge fan of EFIS. Yeah, no, that white. I know, yeah, I know a lot of architects do and, not enjoy that. And the only reason people enjoy it is for the money. Mm -hmm. But the, lifely, the livelihood of it, eh, five to eight years and then you're done. 
I've seen it on buildings. One hole. All the water fills up. It's actually insulation behind there. Yeah. If you can patch the hole, but the insulation is wet and then it freezes. It really is just temporary. Yeah. It's sad. But it's a, it's a workaround to get a cheaper building up. Yep. Yeah. I would rather everybody just put, you know, if you want the white, I get it. But putting metal, mm. which, you know, I'll install cladding, but right. usually on the inside because people don't want like it on the outside. Yeah. That really works. Yeah. You know, two pieces of, you know, metal linked together, watertight. It can stop a lot of water mm -hmm. without having to rebuild a wall. You know, there are so many things that if I am called in and it really works with my relationships where they building owners, especially they know if I go and I inspect it, I'm doing it for their benefit only. Mm -hmm. I go in with priorities and budget in mind. Right. And then I tell them the best case scenario, the worst case scenario and how to budget from that moment on. And then being an architect, I will actually help them bid it out. I'll make the bid sheets for them. I'll take the numbers off mm -hmm. and let the, the owner understand here, here's all my work, go bid it out, you know, and see it, see what comes around. Yeah. And sometimes even if you're a little bit more expensive, if you are more expensive, they value the fact that you were the one that did the, um, the initial work through, you know, you, you made up the specification. So all things being equal, if you're a little bit more, a lot of companies or a lot of buildings may, or owners may just say, you know what, you, you put in the legwork or they'll work with you to lower well, the price. Also the thing that's happening is the insurance requirements in New York mm -hmm. are getting exponentially ridiculous. Yeah. And a lot of people are not being, they're not, they don't have the requirements of right. their insurance. So that is getting more and more important with the lowest bidders. Mm. These guys, they'll say anything. And if you're willing to pay them anything, you get what you pay for. Yeah. So if I'm four generations and I've never paid a man off the books yeah. and I do everything by and, the book. And they're all your employees. They're, they're not all my employees. Like I said, they've been working for me. Almost all my employees at this point have been working for me over 10 to 15 years. Mm. Once you come in, you never leave. Because <laughs> they become part of my family. Yeah. And ultimately, that is the goal, to become a family. And yes, we all have our moments. And then to treat our clients like the family. So your building becomes yeah. mine. How many employees, well, how many uh, is your company? How many people make up your company? I would say, um, well... The roofers yeah. say 25 mm -hmm. to 50, seasonal. Right. And then the masons are around 50, depending on the day. Okay. You know, I mean, I've had a lot more and I've brought in a lot more. Yeah. And I've had a lot less. It just so. depends on what you have going on. Exactly. I can usually supply it. I mean, I personally can handle a lot more, but sometimes more isn't better. Yeah. And just like the lowest bidder isn't the best. It's usually so, not ever the best. So the idea is when the, that bidder comes in below me, it's usually because there's a reason why. Unless he's head to head and has the same experience and the same priorities um, will be the same. Yeah. People who are a lot less, there's a reason why. Yeah even if it's just they've been in business for three years and changed their name four times. Right. So, you know, and then they get new insurance and they don't have my overhead. Yeah. So being four generations speaks for itself. And when you have a fly-by-night guy installing the roof, by the time he's done, he's out of business. Yeah. And then you, who do you go to? Yeah. You go to the next guy and you pay out of pocket because you can't sue anybody for it. Right. Yeah. So that's usually where if I put on a roof, and in 10 years, you call me and say, there's a leak on my roof. I'm like, my roof's leaking? Yeah. I'm coming. Yeah. What happened? You know? It's different. I, I actually personally come. And I'm the person you call. When the, when the water is falling <laughs> in your bedroom, that's the person you call. So what's the next few years look like for you? What are you guys focused on growing your business? 
I'm trying. I, I feel really, really bad right now for building owners in New York. Mm. They're having a really hard time. And it's it's just it's horrific at this point. Um, just getting their their money even to maintain their buildings. Mm-hmm. And they're having a hard time keeping me employed for them right. to do the local laws. So a lot of times they were motivated to do repairs on buildings and do the roof knowing that they can up their rent mm-hmm. and their and their priorities were fix the building knowing that everybody's going to, you know, up their rent and really understand and that is all being taken away from them yeah. and they have no incentive to better their buildings because they can't raise their rents and so now they're going to do minimal it's harder to be proactive when you don't have the funds and to if, do it and so at this point they can't and that takes a lot from my company mm-hmm. And from the vendors and from the the sale, I mean, it really has a trickle down experience where their buildings aren't worth the same amount. Yeah. Where I do work for is I work on a lot of housing complexes. They still get the money because it's New York City Mm -hmm. and New York State. And also I'm a woman owned company, um, minority. Mm. And that helps that process. Have you found in your experience, because you are a female, that people in your industry don't take you as seriously as you should? Has that been something that you've encountered? Every day. When I walk up on a roof, I don't look the part. Yeah. I've seen you in the winter. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And, you know, especially... You know, I just walk up and everyone's like, okay, who's this girl? Really? Yeah. She's going to meet? What is she going to take notes? Yeah. But when I have five seconds to prove myself mm-hmm. and once I do that, they understand, wow, you know, this girl about. really knows. And I usually have to say I'm fourth generation. Dad didn't yeah. have a son. And I've been on a roof since I was five and no more than everybody here. But they'll they'll see it and they may be even worried that, I'm hopping on a wall and I have no fear of heights or on a scaffold. And I really do love what I do. So if anybody is listening that is in your position, maybe starting out, they're a female or they're a minority and they don't feel like they're taking, they're being taken seriously. You just have to just, what's your advice? Like just know your stuff, be confident, know your value. You know, the the typical you know, just be the best that you can be and hopefully it'll work itself out. Or is there something that like you would sit yourself down five years ago, 15 years ago and tell yourself? It's not their fault. Mm -hmm. Really. It's, it's especially, like I said, I'm five foot. I look like a little girl. Yeah. So when a little girl shows up on a roof, it's just what their body automatically reacts to. I don't look like the the roofer. Right. So I have to understand that they're not doing it. It's not an insult. It's not malicious in your now, experience. Sometimes yeah. it, there are certain people that will shut down because I'm a woman. Yeah. And that is also. Which I can't even imagine. That's, that's, that's not how I operate. So I just can't imagine. Oh, I don't I'm discounting everything you say because you're a woman. Sometimes I can be a wife, a daughter, a granddaughter or something where people can click and be happy for me there but it doesn't necessarily mean they'll respect me ultimately you gain respect by showing your knowledge Mm -hmm. that's the only way to do it show them you know what you're talking about yeah everything else goes away because the longer you watch me tell you about your building it starts to click and usually it gets a they say, wow, you really know. So, it, it yes, it's still yeah. that, wow, wow. But they ultimately understand that I know what I'm doing a lot. Mm-hmm. And to the point where I'm, I am working with a bunch of clients right now, um, they own a lot of buildings in housing. And they have called me the roof whisperer <laughs> <laughs> or professor because I know... 
I do know. I mean, there was one leak. The guy said, there's this horrific leak and the entire corner of the building is vacant for a year. If you can fix this one leak, I will give you all my buildings. I'm like, and that's the other thing about my business. Every day is new people, new place, and a new challenge. And I love it. And that's part, when I'm up on a roof, it's not just about the little girl or the architect or my experience. Everybody understands that I love it. I yeah. love the challenge. I think that's the most important part to operate a business. If you Anyone. don't love it. And and I exude it. Yeah. I mean, you'll never hear someone speak so passionately about a roof. Yeah. So I went up, I went to see the roof leak and I started with the bottom apartment and that was vacant and I walked in and I can smell the moisture mm. bad. And I looked at everybody and I said, you guys are going to tear down this wall, right? And they said, yes. I stuck my foot through the sheetrock wall and proceeded to rip out the wall. Uh And all of these guys standing behind me, we're talking about in the projects, you know, and they've never seen this before. (laughs) (laughs) People get shot every day, but not this. And I start pulling out the wall. I stick my hands in. This is on the first floor. I grab the insulation out of the wall. It's that pink insulation everybody has. Yeah. And I squeezed the water out of it. And I said, I found your leak. (laughs) And they all just looked at me like, did this just happen? So we went to each floor and I did the same thing, seeing, trying to figure out where the water was coming from. Ultimately, we went up on the roof. When we got up on the roof, I realized that the roof is sagging. Usually the roof sags if there's water damage and there's insulation. The insulation gets soft. And it will sag. Ultimately, it makes a pond and makes the roof weaker. So there was a sagging area in the corner of the building on the opposite side of the drain. Uh And I walked straight to it. And right smack in the middle of that little sagging area was a fence post that was drilled all the way through, cord, through the slab, completely rotten. So the entire roof was pitched to one fence post. Ultimately, they just had a funnel going straight wow. down the corner. I turned around to everybody and they still can't believe it. And I turned around to everybody and I go, you guys are gonna have to show me a lot more challenging thing than a fence post. <laughs> and pretty much I fixed their entire horrific challenging league for less than $10,000. And they had been getting hundreds of thousands of dollars to replace masonry walls yeah. and roofs. And, and I said, it's, it's four fence posts. And that was it, you know, yeah. and I just tapered the, the roof away and I gave them a good patch. And immediately the roof w- leak stopped. Yeah. And they just, they couldn't believe it. You know, they were in the bidding process. They have brought architects, engineers, roofers. Nobody looked. Everybody just thought it was the brick. And, and that, so I saw them the other day and they're like, I can't believe Did it. Did you get through other roofs? I'm working on them. Yeah, one by one. I'm, you know, housing has their, you know, some are great, some, but ultimately I go from leak to leak. That's the challenge in my daily life. Yeah. Finding a leak and seeing how bad the damage is and how much money they have to spend. Right. But ultimately I try to work with people's budgets. It's a dance because the budgets change, you know. I try to work with that so people spend their money wisely. Yeah. Uh, even if it's a capital plan that could be a few years long, if we get the stuff that's going to be, you know, as you said before, the immediate need and then work out a plan over the next, you know, three years, this is what you have to do. Like that's how we do our budgeting process in the property management world. It's just trying to figure out well, what can we do now without hitting everybody over the head with an assessment or if it's a building owner for a rental building, you know, how to do that. So. Exactly. So usually I'll give them Okay, we'll try to stop the leak, and it's always an attempt. Yeah. And you're, um, but you're only going to be able to spend this amount of money. Once you cross over that, I usually say it's a down payment on a roof. Yeah. Don't pour. It's worth a shot to stop it once or twice. After that, hold your money. Yeah. Hold your money. Put a tarp up. Do something. But don't spend any more money because ultimately 
you're putting money towards the big project. So how can people get in touch with you? What's your phone number for McFar? Um, McFar Construction and McFar Contractors. And my name is Penny Mendelson. I'm the VP of Operations. And my daddy still works with me, David Farbstein. <laughs> the big papa. The big papa. He travels a lot, but he's not retired and never will. Yeah. I love my daddy. Yeah. And my mommy. You're only doing that because they're going to listen to this podcast, right? No, I love my daddy. Okay. I tell everybody. That's true. I've heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get better than him. And then I also work with my brother-in-law, who's married yeah. to my sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's family. Yeah. So that's who's working with us. But ultimately, McFar Contractors, our office, the phone number is 516-873-9080. And you guys are working on your website. Yeah, I mean, there is McFarcontractors.com. Uh-huh. And McFar is M-C-F-A-R. Correct. Yeah, contractors.com. And that would be my dad's best friend, McCarthy. Yeah. And my maiden name is Farbstein. So, so McFar became our name. Kevin McCarthy left within three to six months. Yeah. But we kept s- the still name. kept the name. I like it. It's good. Me too. Uh, it was either that or named after the women, the wives, yeah. And my mom's name is Shelly and her best friend was Maureen. So it would be Shellmore. Yeah. And yeah, McFar sounds good. Yeah. So, and so McFarcontractors.com is an old website. Yeah. But you can get an idea of the work quality. Yeah. I am redoing it so you can get good. the modern quality. Bring you back to the 2020s. Yeah. This is really a good 20 years old and it really needs to be updated. I'm in the midst of doing that. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Uh, let me just remind everybody we did it at the front, but nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com is our uh, email address. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. If you like this episode and you're still listening, that's great. If you could share it with your friends and you can also subscribe and you could rate it five stars, that would be amazing. Um, so we, thank you. We Thank you very much. We'll be back with another episode hopefully next week and we'll we'll see everybody soon. Thank you so much. Have a great day.